uh, your people. Uh, Lord, as we talk about forgiveness that is quite literally at the heart of the gospel, would you, um, would you remind us again of how amazing it is that though we are guilty, you in Christ pardon our guilt and atone for our guilt and, and cover it and remove it as far as the east is from the west and and actually credit our account with the righteousness of your son. And that ought to change how we live every day. And it especially ought to inform and direct how we practice forgiveness with others and how we help people that are struggling with forgiveness issues to know how to honor you. And Lord, these are heavy things. Lord, uh, people have been hurt in significant ways. And so we don't, we don't look at forgiveness as a, a band-aid, uh, but we look at it as a, a robust treatment that you use to transform and heal hearts. So will you guide us in that today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, why should you forgive? Well, Jesus tells us to his disciples, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. And one of the apostles says, great, not only do I have to forgive my brother now, I have to do math. <laughs> so what's the takeaway? Forgive, because it's easier than math. Math is hard, so and that's why you want to forgive. So I think Brian Gaines found that, so you can thank Brian for... Uh, seriously, forgiveness. forgiveness. There is nothing more central to the gospel than forgiveness. I think that anywhere that you find healthy, growing Christian relationships, you will find people that are practicing biblical repentance and biblical forgiveness. This, this should not be our reaction. Ah! I have to forgive you? I mean, it shouldn't be like this crazy, I can't believe we're having this conversation, weird, that in, in a fallen world with fallen people like you and me that have been redeemed in Christ and are growing in Christ, forgiveness ought to be a normal part of our relationships. In fact, I, I think we, we could even say that that's something of a a test of spiritual health in relationships? I mean, if, if forgiveness is something that you and I practice normally, especially amongst the people closest to us, that probably means that those are healthy relationships and, and we're growing. If forgiveness is not something we do very often or it's something we're scared to do or something we feel like, man, I'm, I'm a weird Christian because I had to forgive today, that reflects something of uh, uh, misguided theology, doesn't it? So forgiveness, we talk about repentance being the engine of biblical change. Forgiveness is the oil that helps relationships to run smoothly, isn't it? And um, so we're going to talk, I, I'm going to, this is track three, so I'm making lots of assumptions that all of you know, confession, repentance, forgiveness, you've had track one, uh, many of you have had track two, a lot of you are ACBC certified or in the process. So I'm assuming that we're not in spiritual kindergarten when it comes to forgiveness. You, you've, you've been taught and you understand some of that. What I want to do is, is build off of that. I'm going to review forgiveness very, very fast, just in case some of you may, may, you may have slept a little bit since uh, you talked about forgiveness last time. But what I really want to do is get to that section in your notes that just sort of, these are typical things with forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of those things that, um, once you lift up the hood of forgiveness and look at all the components in the engine compartment, you go, man, there's a lot to this. 
So we're going to talk about different scenarios that you and I might see in counseling and how a doctrine of forgiveness gets applied in those challenging scenarios, okay? So first of all, let's do a a bit of a review, review course here. What is forgiveness? Would you please turn with me in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 31? Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, believe it or not, in two books in the Bible that you and I probably don't go to very often, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, we get two of the most beautiful pictures of redemption and forgiveness and all that goes with it in all of Scripture. In the Old Testament, the gospel as we think of it today, the gospel was called the New Covenant. And we know that Jesus inaugurates that new covenant. Remember the night that he was betrayed when he institutes the Lord's Supper, communion. He says, he took the cup, right? And he says, this is the cup of the what? The new covenant of my blood. And and that that was the inauguration of that new covenant. We understand those promises given uniquely to Israel in Ezekiel 31 and Ezekiel 36, that even those of us that are non-Jewish, Paul says in Romans, we get grafted into some of those spiritual benefits And that's why the gospel call of forgiveness can go, as Paul says in Romans, to the Jew, but also to the Greek, right? We understand that. Uh, Jeremiah gives us this picture. You remember he's writing to a disobedient nation of Israel. They're, They're coming up to the Babylonian captivity, God's judgment on their idolatry and sin. And in the midst of calling them to repentance and calling out their idolatry and warning them of what's going to happen, there's these little moments of of beautiful gospel hope. And this is one of those passages here in Jeremiah 31 where uh, God speaking through Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming. Uh, This is chapter 31, verse 27. When I sow to the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And he talks about the, the, the discipline, the destruction, the refining. And then 31 of chapter 31 says... Uh, when I, the day is coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the, the former covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of the hand and bring them, took, took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. What covenant was that? The Mosaic covenant given at Sinai, right? Okay, so we say that they broke that covenant. God says, I'm going to make a new one, a new covenant. And, uh, and this time he says what? He says in verse 33, I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people and they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each uh, each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying know the Lord. This is amazing guys. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord when I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And, and we know that that, that that promise of forgiveness, though again, he's speaking uniquely to Israel here in, in a day when there will be this, this national revival that we get grafted into some of those promises. And certainly for our purposes today, what we're hearing here, forgiveness is when God chooses to remember their sin no more. That's a great definition of forgiveness. When we choose to not hold sin against somebody. God does not get amnesia when he forgets. He's omniscient, right? He knows everything. But he's not forgetting what we did when he forgives. He's choosing not to hold it against us. And in a similar way, he calls us to forgive as God in Christ forgives us. So we define forgiveness as a pardoning of the sin, right? It's a decision to not hold the offense against the person. And we recognize, again, this is all review, 
that forgiveness is revealed primarily through understanding God's character and his actions toward people. So, for example, we read in the Bible that God has authority, that he is just, that he's righteous, and yet he's also a God of compassion and mercy and grace. We read that about that in Exodus 34, all those attributes there, Psalm 103. And therefore, uh, in light of who God is, God makes demands on humanity Uh, That's his law. And sin is a violation of God's law, which render people guilty and liable to his punishment. Uh, That's not good news for us, by the way. God sends his son Jesus in the gospel to atone for sin, which makes a way for God and people to be reconciled and the pardoning of sin. And that leads then to the need for a transaction, right? Forgiveness is granted to those who confess and repent of sin to God and ask for forgiveness as they trust in Christ's work on their behalf. In other words, you can't understand forgiveness unless you understand the character of God, the law of God, the nature of Jesus and the gospel, and the transaction that's needed so that what God did in Christ can come to us, okay? And again, I'm assuming you know all this, but but remember the footnote here, okay? When you talk about forgiveness amongst people, that person can only forgive as well as they know God and his attributes and his nature as we see here. Your, your forgiveness can only rise to the level of your understanding of God and the gospel. And, and, and could it be, guys, that the reason a lot of the marriages we're working with and individuals and parents and kids, the reason a lot of that forgiveness is not happening is not because we haven't taught them the mechanics, but that their God is too small. Their understanding of the gospel is too limited. Uh, they have thought lightly of their own offense against a holy God. And therefore, as uh, Jesus said in the context of uh, a woman, um, why, why did she love much? Because she had been forgiven much, right? And, and so there's a correlation between how I'm going to forgive, how I'm going to follow God, how I'm going to work with this person, and my own understanding of God's forgiveness of me. If I'm not overwhelmed by God's forgiveness in light of my great offenses and what I deserve, there's not going to be a whole lot of fuel to show mercy and compassion and forgiveness to my brother or sister who sins against me. Does that make sense? So keep the vertical in mind before you get to the horizontal in that. Again, this is all review, but good stuff to remember. Remember when we talk about forgiveness between God and people, we think of it in two senses. Uh, and again, I'm just going to wave my hands at some of this right now, but we have to think of God's judicial forgiveness and God's parental forgiveness. His judicial forgiveness, his parental forgiveness. You say, what's the difference? Judicial forgiveness is that one-time act of forgiveness that happens at conversion when a sinner, having been convicted of his sin, and exposed to the gospel, repents, right? Turning from sin to God in confession, putting faith and trust in Jesus alone, and God grants forgiveness of that person in terms of a a judicial sentence, right? In, In the courtroom of God, forgiven. Past, present, future sin, so that God and that person are reconciled and there is no sin that would come between God and that person. Forgiveness has been granted in the courtroom of God. That's why we call it judicial forgiveness. It happens at conversion through repentance and faith in Christ and on the basis of Christ's merits and work alone. It's a one-time forgiveness. Uh, It's not a repeatable forgiveness. 
okay? When, uh, when next week, after you're converted, or maybe that afternoon after you're converted, and you sin again, God does not say, well, okay, that judicial forgiveness, we're just going to nullify that. The amazing thing, guys, is once God forgives, not, forgives us in this judicial sense that, that goes along with conversion, um, though we continue to struggle with sin, God still treats us with a pardon. He still looks at us uh, as clothed in the righteousness of Christ and forgiven past, present, future, okay? In a judicial, relational way, right? That, that's, been, that's been solved one time and that's what Paul's all wound up about in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Through him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, he says there. You say, well, if that's true, why does John tell us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Because that's a different forgiveness. That's what we call parental forgiveness, or we can think of it as fellowship forgiveness. I'll give you an example. Uh, I have three kids, and um, they, uh, they are my kids. And uh, they will always be my kids. Um, when they sin against me, they don't cease to be my children. I don't kick them out of the family because of sin, right? Because they're already in my family and I've, I've, I love them. And whether they like it or not or whether I like it or not, right, they're there. Um, judicial forgiveness. We come into the family of God and we are secure in that relationship forever. Even if we sin against our father multiple times, certainly thousands, maybe tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times following our conversion, God does not kick us out of the family because of that judicial forgiveness that has been granted. However, just as if one of my kids sins against me, um, that, that affects our relationship, right? It doesn't cease to be my son or daughter. I don't kick him out of the family, but that affects our ability to have a healthy relationship. That's where parental forgiveness is needed. If I sin against my son or daughter, I go to them in confession, forgiveness. I seek and grant forgiveness uh, when necessary there. And we've trained them to come to us and do the same. That's what John's talking about in 1 John 1, 9. That confession that is ongoing, that's a regular part of the Christian life, is not a matter of you know, losing salvation and regaining it back, uh, but it is a matter of maintaining a healthy relationship with God that's unimpeded by any present sin. Does that make sense? So one-time forgiveness, that's that judicial forgiveness that happens at conversion, and then ongoing forgiveness, we can call it parental forgiveness, uh, to represent this idea that in the Christian life we ought to be regularly confessing our sin to God uh, to maintain a healthy fellowship with Him. Okay? So again, with that review about forgiveness between people and God... Let's talk about forgiveness between people because the Bible says we forgive as God in Christ forgives us. There's, there's our vertical feeding the horizontal again, right? We cannot know how to do forgiveness with people if we haven't first known forgiveness between us and God and have, have learned something about that. So there are three aspects to forgiveness between people. There's a posture of forgiveness. There's an attitude of forgiveness. And there's a transaction of forgiveness, or we can call it readiness, heart, and reconciliation. Uh, what's the posture of forgiveness? If you're in Jeremiah, you can back up a few pages to Psalm 86. And uh, this gives us something of God's heart, if we can call it that, the, God's, the posture of God. Um, David writing in this, this psalm, it's actually a prayer psalm, 
Uh, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. I'm afflicted and needy. Preserve my soul, right? He's talking, crying out to God in prayer. And uh, in the middle of the psalm, he, he reminds us about God's nature. And in 86.5, he says this. He says, for you, Lord, are good. Now watch this. And ready to forgive. Abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. That's interesting, isn't it? What is God's disposition in the heavenly places? What's his heart? What's his posture? You see up there going, this psalm says, no, he's up there in a posture ready to forgive. Uh, We we might say he is eager to forgive. He, He is prepared to forgive. And now you say, well, why doesn't he forgive? Well, because we have to go in repentance and faith to ask for it, right? We're not universalists. We don't believe everybody's forgiven just because everybody wants to be forgiven. We, we believe that forgiveness happens when a person confesses sin in repentance and asks God for that. But when we think about God's response or, you know, what, what's, what sort of God are we going to come into when, when we do confess our sin? Answer, we're going to find a God who's ready and eager to forgive. And, and you know, that, that says something about how we as Christians ought to go through life. There shouldn't be Christians that you feel like you have to walk around on eggshells so you don't offend them all the time. We, we shouldn't be Christians that take offense easily, that hold grudges, that... Um, you know, we, we, like our Heavenly Father has been to us, we should go through life going, I'm ready, whenever you are, right? And we have that posture that says, I'm ready to forgive, I'm eager to forgive, I want forgiveness. And again, in our fallenness, we're going to struggle with that, right? We're going to struggle with bitterness at times and anger and resentment, and, and we've got to work through all that. But, but this is where we ought to be. Um, I, I, we, we are most like our Heavenly Father when we go through life eager to forgive the, 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 the Christian, uh, the, the, the Christian life is, is locked and loaded, ready to forgive, right? To use a good old Southern analogy there. So the posture of forgiveness, the second is what we might call an attitude of forgiveness. Sometimes we call this heart forgiveness. We see this, uh, form of forgiveness demonstrated in passages like Mark chapter 11, Matthew chapter six. So we'll, we'll look at Mark 11, just as an example, if you want to turn there. Mark chapter 11. What's interesting is, um, in context here, um, you say, why do we have three sides of forgiveness, three, three parts of forgiveness, a posture, an attitude, and transaction? Because the Bible gives us those things. The Bible doesn't call it by those names, but the Bible describes three different aspects of forgiveness. We saw the posture. That's easy enough to see. Now I want you to see the attitude or the heart of forgiveness. Now the context here, Jesus is speaking and he says to his disciples, this is Mark eleven twenty five, whenever you stand praying, forgive. So what's the context there? The context sounds like I'm spending time with God in prayer, right? Jesus says whenever you're, you stand praying, you know, you're in your closet or you're in your car or you're... You know, going about, but you're having a season of prayer, and you're in prayer, and you remember, you know, someone sinned against me earlier today. Jesus says, let it go. Forgive. 
in your heart, in your attitude, forgive them. You say, what does that mean? It means you are releasing the offense to God. You're not holding it against the person. Um, If you don't do that, if when someone sins against you, you don't turn to God and say, God, help me to forgive this person from my heart, and you release it to God, if you don't do that, a couple of really bad things are going to happen. You're probably going to stew on it. You might become bitter. You might become resentful. Um, You might be distracted by it. You might be tempted to rehearse it over and over and over and over and over and over and over in your mind. Um, It might cloud and color how you relate to that person and now you're you're trying to have a conversation with them and that 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 thing going on in your heart is affecting how you're uh relating to that person so all sorts of bad things happen when we don't forgive a person from the heart before god now notice in the context here this is primarily about me and god not me and the other person do you see that when you stand praying where's the other person they're not there They're somewhere else. It's you and God, and God's saying, let it go. Give it to me, release it. You keep your heart in a posture of forgiveness before me. Don't hold it against them. Um, Don't don't retaliate. Don't do something like that. That's an attitude of forgiveness. Notice in this context that forgiveness is unilateral and unconditional. Unilateral meaning it's just about me and my heart before God. Unconditional means it has nothing to do with what the other person does or doesn't do. It's about me and my heart before God and releasing the offense to God in that context. Um, that's what we call attitude or heart forgiveness. We have to read that alongside of another aspect of forgiveness that we, for example, in Luke 17, verse 3, we read about there. And that is what we might call a transaction of forgiveness, or we could call this reconciliation. And uh, very, very different, right? Uh, Jesus writing in Luke 17, um, he's talking about uh, stumbling blocks, which would be uh, where we would do things in life that would cause other Christians to stumble. Certainly when we don't pursue forgiveness, And fixing relationships, that would be an occasion for stumbling blocks. I think that's part of the context there. 17.3, Jesus says this to his disciples, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, then forgive him. Now this is very different than what we saw in Mark, isn't it? The context here is not me and God in prayer, unilateral, unconditional. The context here is me and the other person. And Jesus is addressing now my relationship with the other person, not my relationship with God, my relationship with the other person. If that person sins against me and they don't come in repentance, my job is to go and lovingly confront them and point out that sin with the goal of restoration. When I sin or I'm confronted, my job is to repent, right? To repent of that sin And Jesus says here to his disciples, if they repent of what they did to you, then you forgive them. Now this is different, right? This forgiveness is bilateral, meaning it's about me and the other person, and it is conditional on what? It's conditional on their repentance. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you have two Christians and there has been sin, one party against the other, and one of them does not repent... There can't be full restoration there, can there? 
You can, you can, you know, release it in your heart to toward, toward God, but there's something between you and that other person. And until that something is addressed, your friendship and the health of your relationship is going to be jeopardized. Okay, are you with me? So we need to have a posture of forgiveness as God does. We're ready to forgive. When we are sinned against, we need to immediately go to God, release the offense, ask God to have a a humble heart, a forgiving heart, that we wouldn't hold that against them, we wouldn't retaliate, uh, etc., etc. We want to stay in our heart. We want to stay in in a good, healthy place before God. And then when it comes to the actual person, our goal would be that repentance and the granting of forgiveness would transact thus bringing me and that other person back into a friendship together, okay? You need all three. This is why there's so much confusion in the Christian counseling world and just the Christian world, right? Because you're going to hear people say, no, 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 you you just forgive them. It doesn't matter what they do. You just forgive them. And then you have other people saying, no, 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 they have to repent because if they don't repent, you can't, and everybody's confused. And they're confused because you got to look what the whole Bible says, not just one verse, you just look at one verse, you know, forgiveness is always, always unconditional. Well, no, it's not. Luke 17 says it's not. Forgiveness is always conditional on repentance. Well, no, it's not, because Mark, Mark 11 says there's a time that it's unconditional. So we have to put all this together in a theology. And again, hopefully this is all review. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But, but we have to have all this in mind, because if you don't know this really well, and you sit down with some dear lady or dear man, and they're trying to work this out, this is your compass. This is your field manual for helping them to know how to do forgiveness and and expect that they're probably going to be a little confused about it because they read a blog or read a book that was unhelpful. Okay, so you know me, former recovering engineer, which means I'm going to give you a chart. Here it is. Um, It's my addiction, I admit it. so again, you've seen this before. If you've taken uh, uh, these classes from me before, this just kind of lays out the two. We understand the posture. That's pretty easy. This kind of lays out heart forgiveness versus transaction forgiveness. Uh, it gives you some verses, gives you a little bit of compare and contrast there. Hopefully that's useful to you if you haven't seen that. Okay, so here, here's the bread and butter of, of the talk here. Okay, let's talk about some questions about forgiveness. Questions that come up regarding forgiveness. You will find people. You will meet people. Maybe you even had this thought. Do I need to forgive myself? Do I need to forgive myself? Well, let's think about that. We're going to have to keep moving as we go through this material. Uh, but um, I'll, I'll give you... Do you have blanks or do you have... Is it blanks? Oh, goodness. Did I do that to you? I'm sorry. I... We, uh, will you forgive me? Uh, I repent. I do. Um, let me do this. So you do the best you can, and we can have um, the slides printed out for you. Okay? I, that was a mistake on my part. So just, just listen. Take some notes, but don't freak out trying to scribble everything down because I love you, and I want you to continue to love me. So, Okay. Um, do I need to forgive myself? Well... There's no mention of forgiving self in Scripture. So anytime we're thinking about a concept and we can't find it in the Bible, we should be suspicious. We should at least be cautious. Um, So a person that needs to forgive, wants to forgive themselves, thinks they need to forgive themselves, I find that as I've talked to people and, and, and just listened and tried to care for them, usually that person falls into one of three categories, okay? 
Sometimes when people think about needing to forgive self, as I talk to them, what they're really saying is, I don't really understand God's forgiveness. There's some deficiency in believing that God really can and does pardon our sins and treat us as if we didn't commit the offense in Christ. So sometimes people that are saying, I need to forgive myself, what they're really wrestling with is a misunderstanding of God's forgiveness and they need to better understand the extent of God's forgiveness. Okay. Another time when, when someone's saying, I need to forgive myself, that, that person may be aware of God's forgiveness and they may, may even have a good definition, a good understanding of it, but they're not daily living in light of it. They're letting their feelings, their memories, past thoughts be the main thing that they're thinking about all the time. And because that's distressing and difficult, but they know God's forgiven them, they conclude maybe I need something else like self-forgiveness. When what they really need is what? Meditate, think about, rehearse, dwell on, revel in, Praise God for forgiveness that he's already granted. And they just need to live in light of that. They're focusing on the wrong thing. And, and you know, what, what we focus on is what fuels how we live, right? So they're focusing on the wrong thing. So that might be the, the situation. A third situation, someone that says, I, I need to forgive myself. This may be a, a sort of tricky scenario where as you get to know them, they'll say something like this. I know God's, give, God's forgiven me. I just can't forgive myself. And sometimes, if it's not one of those other two, sometimes what a person is saying is, I really think that the court of my own mind is a higher court than God's. They're not going to say it that explicitly, of course, but, but that's how they're thinking about it. They're, they're really thinking that my own assessment, my own mental judgment is a supreme court and God's just a district court. And what we have to help them to see is you need to reverse that. You need to see that God's court is a higher court than yours and let God's court dictate, rightly so, how your court is functioning, right? Uh, and again, they're, they're not, this is often not a, a, an outwardly arrogant, prideful, they really struggle. They, they really can't get away from, I just keep having these condemning thoughts. And we need to say, my dear brother, my dear sister, a higher court has overruled your thoughts and feelings. And to believe what God says instead of your emotions and feelings. Okay, so we talk about self-forgiveness. It's not a biblical concept, but depending on the person's circumstance, there may be different avenues that we pursue, pursue there. Okay. Related to that, should we forgive dead people? You know, I mean, if you want to do this fast, do you need to forgive yourself? No. Do you forgive dead people? No. Uh, does forgiving mean forgetting? No. Let's move on. Uh, is there a difference between forgiveness, reconciliation? Yes, there is. Let's go. Right, we could do that, but that's not helpful to you. Okay, so let's... Um, we could make this really fast if you want to. Get to the snack table before the other two tracks, right? That's what we really want to do then they would have to forgive us. Uh, so uh, should we forgive dead people? You, you see this every now and then. Um, 
uh, th- there's some misunderstanding of um, biblical passages. Um, where I see this is when a loved one dies. And often when a loved one, maybe you felt like this. I, I've had moments like this before where someone that you love dies and you start thinking about all the things you wish you would have talked to them about. Or maybe you think, um, actually, there, there were some issues between us that were not resolved. And there you are at the funeral and you're feeling horrible. You're dealing with regret and guilt and, and I wish I could do it over. And, right? And that's real. And, and one of the ways that um, therapy systems and psychology and other sources have tried to address that dilemma, that real dilemma is, well, even though your grandmother, your father, your mother, your brother is dead, you can still forgive them. And the problem is, again, like our first one there, there's no examples of that or instructions to that effect in Scripture. So again, we should say, wait a minute, pull the car over. If the Bible doesn't talk about it, doesn't give examples of it, doesn't give any instructions about it, we need to be really, really, really careful how we proceed. Okay? And if you think about it, what the Bible does say about forgiveness is simply incompatible with somebody who's already passed away. So for example, if we go back to Luke 17, forgiveness is a transaction. It's between two parties. Well, if they've, if they've passed away, you can't have that conversation. As much as you and I might want to go back and do it, we can't. So forgiving dead people doesn't actually make sense in light of what Scripture does teach about forgiveness. However, this is what Scripture says. Remember that, remember that heart forgiveness, that, that unilateral, unconditional thing? It may be that what I need is not to you know, forgive my dead relative or my dead friend, but to go to God and say, hey, Lord, I never really dealt with this before you in my heart. And so I need to release this offense uh, to you in the context of prayer to God. And you might even, this is interesting, your problem might actually not be that you need to forgive the person that's passed away, but that you need to seek your own forgiveness from God for how you've been harboring bitterness and resentment and anger and maybe even unforgiveness toward the person who's passed away. It sounds like a grudge. Uh, holding, a, holding a grudge, yeah. That would be another way to say it, yeah. So again, in our, in our fallen world, sometimes we're thinking very often we need to grant forgiveness when actually the biblical need is to seek forgiveness. Does that make sense? So, um, so that, may need, that may be the thing to do there. We're not forgiving the dead person. We're going to God asking for his forgiveness as we repent and confess because we've been uh, harboring a heart of, of bitterness or grudge or, or an anger or unforgiveness there. Does that make sense? Okay. Does forgiving mean forgetting? Does forgiving mean forgetting? Uh, you, you and I probably grew up hearing that, right? Just forgive and forget. And... Um, well, let's go back to our theology. Does God forget when he forgives us? He gets amnesia. He's omniscient except when he forgives you, right? That's what it says? No, God, God doesn't forget, does he? Um, go back to our Jeremiah text. Uh, your sins 
I will, the language is important, our sin, your sins I will remember no more. There is a world of difference between forgetting and choosing not to remember. Okay? If, if I do this, rats, where'd my keys go? You know, I, I misplaced my keys. I forgot where I put them. I, right? That's not a good thing to emulate. Forgetting is not a good thing. It's a passive thing that happens in a fallen world, right? Forgetting is something that happens, and usually it's not a good thing. Choosing not to remember, choosing to pardon, choosing to treat as if it didn't happen is a very different experience. God chooses not to remember. He chooses not to hold it against us. He doesn't passively forget. God doesn't forget anything. He's incapable of forgetting. He's God. Of course he doesn't forget. And you know, I, I, I think, and that's so, so important. Let's say you're, you're talking to a sexual assault victim. And let's say it's one of those amazing, probably rare, but wonderful moments where there's been repentance, there's been confession, and that person with God's grace and help gets to a place where they're willing and able to forgive the person that assaulted them. Is she ever going to forget that incident? Probably not for the rest of her life. And if I or you or some well-meaning person communicates, well, you haven't really forgiven them if you haven't forgotten about it, well, you imagine the guilt they're going to feel? Thinking that until I get this out of my brain... God says, I'm not actually forgiving them. See, it, it, it doesn't even work practically. So um, does forgiving mean forgetting? The answer, no, it does not mean forgetting. Um, Ephemi means release from legal or moral obligation or consequence, right? Uh, it's translated in our Bibles as cancel, remit, or pardon. Uh, Ephilathanomai means to not have remembrance of something, right? Those are the two... Um, words that we're thinking about here. One is what? Releasing, canceling, remitting, pardoning. One is forgetting. Two different words. The second one is never used to describe forgiveness in the Bible. Okay? That, that's our passive, our passive uh, uh, word there of forgetting. Forgiveness does mean choosing to treat the person as if the offense had not occurred by not holding it against them. It's not that I don't remember. It's not that we can't even talk about it in, in godly ways. It's that I'm not holding it against you, um, treating you in a way um, uh, as if um, forgiveness has not occurred, okay? All right. Do, do you want to write or do you want to... Anyway, okay. So you got those Greek words okay there? Okay, so um, what have we talked about? We, we don't forgive ourselves. We don't forgive dead people. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Um, let's go on here. And again, we'll, we'll make the slides available too. You've got to keep going here. Is there a difference between forgiveness, reconciliation, and rebuilding of trust? Here's what I hear a lot of. Um, oh, I forgave my mother years ago, but I haven't spoken to her in seven years. Um, or I'll hear, yeah, I've, I, I forgave him, but I don't want anything to do with that relationship. Um, 
I forgave him, but I don't want to work on the marriage. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know I'm supposed to forgive. I've forgiven him, but why would I want to try to help? You know, my adult son or daughter with whatever it is. Why would I want to do that? Yeah, I've forgiven him, but I don't want to, I don't, why should I help? It's like I hear this, this separation between I think that I've forgiven, but the relationship has not been restored. Or I'm unwilling to put energy and time into the relationship. Or, or I've forgiven, but I'm not willing to follow basic commands of Scripture about loving, encouraging, being kind, um, the basic one another commands. So, and, and this is kind of, in our culture, we've separated the idea of forgiveness from reconciliation. So let's test that. God says, um, I will forgive your iniquity and your sins I will remember no more. Okay? But I'm not sure I really want this relationship. I forgive you, but I'm not sure that whole adopting into your family, you know, Romans 8, I adopt you. I'm not sure we want, we need to work out a new arrangement. God doesn't say to us when we seek his forgiveness, I will forgive you, but I'm not sure I want a relationship with you anymore. Praise God he doesn't do that. Forgiveness brings reconciliation with God. Forgiveness brings a full restoration with God. And God doesn't say, I forgive you, but I'm not sure I want the relationship, or I'm not sure he says... My son, my daughter, I love you. Welcome back. If we could hear God like that. So we need to close the gap that's been created in our culture between forgiveness and reconciliation. Transactional forgiveness is the same thing as reconciliation. We need to understand that. Forgiveness is not something different than reconciliation. Uh, again, thinking about 2 Corinthians 5:17, God was in Christ doing what? Reconciling the world to himself. Reconciliation coincides with forgiveness. So the transaction of forgiveness is the same as reconciliation in the Bible. Okay? However, we do want to distinguish forgiveness reconciliation from other factors in the relationship that may need uh, additional work. And the one that I probably see the most is the rebuilding of trust. Rebuilding of trust. Forgiveness and reconciliation does not automatically repair years of trust that has been built up that can be lost in an adulterous relationship, in a cover-up of money that was used without the spouse knowing, uh, in a... Um, abuse situation. That um, forgiveness and reconciliation means the relationship is restored. I want to work on this. I'm committed to you. I want to, with God's grace and help, better our relationship. But it doesn't mean there doesn't need to be a season of rebuilding trust and accountability and, and the means of grace that go along with that in the body of Christ. So things like this. Um, you may... If, I, if my wife and I are arguing and getting sinfully angry at each other over 
some home repair and we confess and forgive and reconcile, well, good, we're friends again now, praise God. But we still have to talk about what color we paint the kitchen or whether we put a wood porch in or a slab or whatever. You know, we, we still have to talk about the precipitating issues and that's an area of work, right? Um, we might want to see the demonstration of the fruit of repentance over time. If it's something particularly serious and trust has been broken, you might want to insist on a season of time to see the fruit of repentance. And the rebuilding of trust when it's been violated in significant ways, right? So you have to deal with precipitating issues. You have to deal with the demonstration of the fruit of repentance. You have to deal with rebuilding trust. Uh, all those things may be necessary beyond what forgiveness is able to accomplish. Um, there may be complicated factors, complicating factors. There may be legal issues related to sin, and you've got to work out those legal issues. There might be a pregnancy. There might be financial matters. I, I was involved in a case years ago of a guy who he squandered tens of thousands of dollars of retirement on prostitutes. Like great retirement over a very short season, no retirement. Right? Well, confession occurred, repentance occurred, forgiveness, praise God, reconciliation. But do you think we wanted to kind of watch that person both in terms of sexual fidelity and how they're handling money and right do you think there needed to be a season of rebuilding trust and accountability and working with that and that lasted years because that was needed that doesn't mean the person that was sinned against didn't forgive that just meant that literally decades of marriage trust was broken in that one act and needed to be repaired and that's going to take some time so you get the idea right so you have to work through those things and, uh, of course, we have to help employ wisdom and timing about um, how we do that, interactions, you know, talking about if abuse has occurred and the offender is repentant, you know, at what point do we start talking to that victim about forgiving her offender? Well, the answer is time and wisdom, right? Time and wisdom, pastoral care, um, every, every situation is different. We don't want to pressure her into doing that prematurely but we don't want to also say forgiveness is never something you should think about. So we walk a line of, of wisdom and, and time in that. Okay. And again, every situation is different. That's why we need the community of faith. That's why we need elder. We need um, the wisdom of elders, elder pastors overseeing the flock in these situations. To whom should we confess sin? To whom should we confess sin? Uh, you remember, uh, remember the, the young man that came up, a uh, brand new Christian, college student, this has not happened to me. This happened to another pastor friend of mine. And uh, he was just really, really convicted about lust. You know, he's, just, he's a college student. He's, he's going around just kind of, you know, lusting after all these other college uh, girls. And he misunderstood the doctrine that what he needed to do was seek out, you know, all nine of those girls in math class and confess his sin to them. Now, now, a footnote is you're all groaning. Um, we ought to appreciate the seriousness of a young man who, as a new Christian, has the impulse to do something really, really, really hard and embarrassing because he thinks it will honor Jesus, right? 
We, we ought to commend that and encourage that and say the impulse to confess is a godly thing and we want to commend you for that. But biblical wisdom needs to direct that, right? And it needs to help with that. So for example, uh, forgiveness always, or for confession of sin always happens to God. That's Psalm 51.4. David says, against you and you only I have sinned, done what is evil in your sight. First John 1.9, same thing. Forgiveness, we, we sometimes confess sin to appropriate people. That's Luke 17.3. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he confesses, forgive him. You say, how do I know if I need to go to that person? Well, the Bible clearly spelled this out. Spells this out. When the sin is against another person, when that sin has been expressed in some way, that's Luke 17, 4, against you, uh, and it would be wise and appropriate to do so. Obviously, there are some situations that may require counsel or the intervention of others to facilitate, right? As in the case of abuse or something like that. You say, why does that young man who was lusting in his heart after another woman that he wasn't married to, why should he not go to her? Answer is though, although it was sin, it was not sin that was expressed to her in a specific way. Does that make sense? Um, and and there, there may be some occasions where a heart sin does need to be talked about with another person. I think that's number three there, where there's a wise and appropriate wisdom in, in seeking that. But in general, uh, Luke 17 limits confession to other people to sins that are expressed against the other person in some way. I mean, just think about that. If we had to confess every heart sin toward one another in life, we would be confessing all the time. And um, so, uh, thankfully, um, in God's kindness and patience and wisdom with us, we always confess to God and sometimes with people if the sin is clearly against that person and has been expressed to that person. And again, the language there of Luke is what directs us to understand that. Now, what about this? Do I confess sin and seek forgiveness from an unbeliever? That's a great question, right? Should I, should I do this with an unbeliever? Um, well, again, there's no direct instruction in Scripture, right? We, we don't have the same commands like Luke 17, Matthew 18, um, where it's like, go to your brother, go to your sister, right? There's no direct instructions. But what we generally want to do is follow biblical guidelines in terms of your own heart. In other words, you sin against an unbeliever, you're still going to God, right? You're still dealing with your heart before God. And we also want to recognize that the gospel will need to take root in others before they can learn to forgive in the biblical sense, right? Ephesians says, forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. So if I go to my unbelieving friend and I confess my sin to them, they might look at me and say, it's cool, man. Or I can't believe you did this. What are you, what are you even doing even talking to me? Get out of my get out of my yard. You, know, you, you don't know how they're going to respond, right? But we, we recognize that they're likely not going to respond like a Christian because they're not a Christian, right? So a, a footnote to this. Do you struggle with this like me that we spend a lot of our time frustrated that unbelievers are not acting like Christians? <laughs> right? And... Often that frustration means I'm acting more like an unbeliever. And anyway, that's too personal. But, um, but I, this, this is where we, we, this really comes center stage, right? It's like I can't, I can't expect them to act like a Christian. I want to go to God. I want to go to them. But I'm not expecting them to respond. And I'm not doing Matthew 18 on them if they're not, if they're not professing faith in Christ. Do I forgive when sin hasn't occurred? Now, some of you are like this. You love to apologize because you don't like tension in a relationship, 
and you're thinking, well, I didn't actually sin, but I'm going to go talk to him anyway about it. Um, do I forgive when sin hasn't occurred? Well, James 4, 6 t- says we ought to pursue a humble posture, right? Pursue a, a humble posture, or we might say a posture of humility. God is opposed to the, the proud, gives grace to the humble. But he also, the Bible also tells us, be honest in love. Speak the truth in love. It, it is, this is going to sound weird, it is lying to go confess something to somebody else as sin when God says it's not sin. Okay? However, pursue a humble posture means this. I, I, my wife and I have been married, it's been 23 years this fall, this, uh, this winter. She knows I'm angry before I know I'm angry. She does. She knows me really well. And sometimes she will come to me and say, hey, you seem like you might be getting a little frustrated, a little angry. I'm not angry. You know, I, right? Um, you're going to have dilemmas like this, guys, in your marriage, in relationships, where someone thinks that you've sinned and you're thinking you haven't sinned. James 4, 6, God is opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. I think the right response is to give your spouse the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what, my heart scrambled. I, I, I don't know, but I trust your judgment. And so if you think I was getting angry, I'm going to take your word for it. Will you please forgive me? Um, have a humble posture. What, what you don't want to do is, well, I think you're angry. I don't think you're angry. Well, now, now you're having another occasion for anger, right? A li- guys, a little bit of humility fixes all that. A little bit of humility. So have a humble heart. Don't, don't confess things you know are not sin, but also don't feel like, I'm not convinced yet, so I'm not confessing. You know, just be humble and say, yeah, you're probably right. I've, I've, I've learned, I just, you know what, I, I stopped fighting. My wife's probably right. And um, she knows me, she loves me, and, and, um, and you guys know this, often other people around us have a clearer view of our hearts than we do. And, um, and we need to trust the judgment of people that love us and are worthy of our trust in that way. And then practice biblical love, right? Practice biblical love, meaning when I go about trying to figure that out, I want to respond in love toward the other person. I want to show love toward the other person. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Um, love's not looking like, oh, you weren't perfect there. You need to confess. I mean, that, that's not love. Love doesn't seek its own. It doesn't take a record of wrongs. It's not looking for my spouse to just step out of a line real quick so I can rebuke them in the name of Jesus, right? That's not, that's not humility. That's not biblical love. Doesn't love cover a multitude of sins? Doesn't love cover a multitude of sins? Uh, isn't that in the Bible somewhere? It is. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, but love covers a multitude of sins. And what people sometimes say is, well, you don't have to confront the other person. You can just let love cover it. Right? Just let love cover it. You don't have to go talk to the person, that Matthew 18 stuff. No, no, no. That's just for serious sin. Um, you don't have to, just let love cover it. The problem is that's not what cover means in the Bible. Cover in the Bible is a metaphor for what? Psalm 32. What does Psalm 32 say? Um, How blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is whose sin is covered. Uh, David is using covering as a synonym for what? Forgiveness. It's the same thing. 
So when Peter says, keep fervent your love for one another, love covers a multitude of sins, what he's saying is, forgive. It's the same thing that Matthew 18 says and Luke 17 says, right? The, the word and concept of covering is a common way of describing forgiveness. So love covering is the same thing as forgiving. It's not something we do instead of forgiving or instead of confronting. Um, we're going to run out of time here, guys, because I, I went too long on my summary here. But again, you'll get all the notes here. Um, let's just do one more. How do we handle forgiveness with repeat offenders? Well, the Bible assumes that believers will need to forgive a person multiple times for multiple sins. Remember, forgiveness is harder than math. It's easier than math. It's harder than math, um, depending on how you look at it. The Bible assumes that, which is why Jesus had to address it with his disciples. However, transactional forgiveness is always conditional on repentance. A sin that is committed multiple times may indicate a lack of repentance or perhaps inadequate repentance. So in those cases, you may have to have other people involved to admonish, to better evaluate the person's repentance. It is biblical and right to look for evidence of repentance. Uh, 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 John the Baptist talks about that in Matthew chapter 3. Remember the Pharisees show up, he's baptizing down by the Jordan, they show up and uh, he's got a great opening line, something about a brood of vipers. You say, wow, that's kind of harsh, John. Why? Because they were professing faith, professing repentance, and they were living to the contrary. So John challenges them and says, you're a hypocrite. What you need to do is bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Okay, are you really followers of God? Your life needs to demonstrate your repentance. It, It is not unforgiveness to wait and look for the fruit of, of repentance. Especially when you have a repeat offender and you and the, and the community around you is trying to assess, is this person really repentant? Or are they just going through the verbal, verbal motions of it? Okay. Well, let's just stop right there. I'm going to get, uh, I'll get some handouts for you to get before the end of the day. So I, I'm sorry that I ran out of time and I'm sorry that I gave you horrible notes. So I need your forgiveness. Um, but hopefully uh, we have been able to work through a few of these scenarios that uh, you might find helpful, okay? You know what the takeaway, guys, is? Trust your Bible. Trust your Bible. And in hard cases, don't abandon what your Bible says. Press into it. And in the company of godly leaders like your elder pastors, other counselors, figure out in prayerful wisdom how to work it out in those difficult cases, okay? Uh, Father, thank you for your forgiveness of us. Will you help us as we look to Christ and and revel in your forgiveness to have the wisdom and grace we need to practice forgiveness and to help others to do the same. In Christ's name we pray, amen.